We're in the second week of a three-part series that we're doing called Christmas in Three Words. Christmas in Three Words. I gave you the first word last Sunday. Today we jump into the second word for Christmas in Three Words. But before we do that, you've already been uh, informed of Christmas Eve at Go Church or Christmas at Go Church. Both of our campuses were having really powerful and special Christmas Eve gatherings at our South Metro Atlanta campus. Those times are 2, 4, and 6 p.m. Then at Germantown, you all are having a 4 and 6 p.m. Christmas Eve gathering. That's at our Clarksburg office space. So look, at the end of the day, I know you've got a lot of travel plans. You've got a busy holiday season. If you're in town, we would be honored to have you here at Go Church at either one of our campuses. It would just be a great privilege of ours to be able to worship Jesus with you on the eve of Christmas. Uh, if, you're, if you are going out of town, may traveling mercies be with you, but maybe you're going somewhere that you could jump into a church service. I think of all the, all the opportunities to be in church, Christmas Eve is just really special. It's a night of worship and a night of communion, a night of candle lighting. There's something very traditional about Christmas Eve gatherings, and very, I get very nostalgic at Christmas Eve, so we'd be honored to have you. It's going to be a powerful night at either one of our campuses, and you know this, but we are asking that you grab some tickets, so if you're planning on coming at any of these gathering times at either one of our campuses, just stop by Next Steps, get you a few tickets for the time that you hope to be able to make it. If between now and Christmas Eve you have to switch times and turn those back into Next Steps, there's no charge to get in. I told you this uh, last Sunday, this isn't, this isn't a concert. This is just a way that we can prepare for your arrival. And from both of our campuses, I got a report this week. I'm very encouraged by how many people are already making plans to be here on Christmas Eve. It's going to be a packed house at both of our campuses, and we'd love for you to come. Make sure you grab a ticket so you let us know you're coming, and we'll worship Jesus together. Are you excited about that? Come on, if you're excited, good. All right. Two more quick things. I'm going to fly through this. Uh, one of the most powerful things we do as a church is 21 days of prayer and fasting. We do 21 days of prayer and fasting in January, and then we do 21 days of prayer in the month of September. Beginning on January 4th, Saturday, January 4th, we'll kick off 21 days of prayer and fasting. Uh, the schedule is as follows. Monday through Friday, uh, our auditorium will be open for prayer at 6 a.m., and then each Saturday during the 21 days of prayer and fasting, We'll come together for a time of prayer at 8.30 a.m. Everybody's got a different work schedule. Everybody's in a different season of life. I know that not everybody will be able to participate on every single day, but just look at your schedule. Talk to the Lord. Can you come one time or two times or four times or Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Tuesday, Thursday? Try to make all the Saturdays. Whatever, whatever deal you make with your schedule and with the Lord, God's going to honor that. Just by a show of hands, how many of you, you have a prayer request going into 2020 that only God can answer? Is that you? Well, this is a praying church. We believe in the power of prayer, and we'd be honored to have you participate in 21 days of prayer and fasting. We're going to see supernatural miracles take place. Final thing, and then we'll jump into uh, week number two of Christmas in Three Words. Last Sunday, we took up our first ever legacy offering. I am so tempted to tell you the amount of money that's already been received and collected, but I'm going I'm to make you sweat it. I'm going to hold off until our Vision Sunday at the first of the year. Remember, the legacy offering is unique because we're giving 100% of it away. Isn't that fantastic? So I will say this, uh, just to kind of whet your appetite and your curiosity. In 2020, we're going to give away a lot, a lot of money to nonprofits and organizations and ministries. We're going to help a lot of widows, a lot of orphans. God's going to do an incredible work in 2020 because of your generosity. So hang in there a few more weeks and I'll be able to share that info with you. It's not too late to give. 
The legacy offering is open to give throughout the rest of this year. So you have till December 31st to give to the legacy offering. And again, 100% of the funds that come in towards legacy, we're going to give that money away. So I'm really, really excited. So, all right, you ready for the message today? Come on, if you're ready, say I'm ready. Good. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse number 8. Um, this, is, this is serving as our theme verses of Scripture for this entire series. So take out your Bible. Maybe your Bible glows. Take out your smartphone and uh, jump into verse number 8 of Luke chapter 2. We visited this last Sunday, and we're going to follow this trend today and the next Sunday as well. I'll begin in verse number 8 and read through verse number 14. Here's what the Scripture says. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Anybody thankful for the glory of the Lord? Come on. And they were terrified. And the angel said to them, you don't have to be afraid because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. For today... This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Two more verses. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared to them, the angel with the angel, praising God and saying, and let's just do this so we can have uh, corporate participation on the count of three, both campuses. Let's read this final verse together. Ready? One, two, three. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace on earth to those on whom his favor rests. So last Sunday, we looked at verse number 10, and we got our, our first word from this particular verse. The angel said to them, do not be afraid. And here's why you don't have to be afraid, because there's great news that will cause great joy for all the people. So last Sunday, the very first word that really defines Christmas is the word celebration. And that is what Christmas is. Christmas is a party. It is a celebration. And I told you last Sunday, if you missed it, you should jump back online and listen to it again. Christmas is a celebration for three primary reasons. We celebrate Christmas because God loves you, because God is with you, and because God is for you. Can you give me a good amen right there? So because of the reality of the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, Christmas is a celebration. And so all of the other things that we do at Christmas time in the right place, in the right perspective, in the right context, go for it. Listen, at Christmas, there should be shopping. At Christmas, there should be some traveling, some holiday traveling. At Christmas, there should be some food. Come on. We're all allowed to gain some weight at Christmas. Give me a good amen right there. Come on now. You know, I, I even told you last Sunday that I've, I've decided that at Christmas, Hallmark movies are allowed. Come on. I'm all in. Watch the brand new one last night. Come on. Loving it right now. Loving me some Hallmark movies. All of that should take its place. There should, be, there should be family at Christmas. But let's never forget why we do what we do and who we do it for. We participate in all of those extracurriculars at Christmas time because God loves you, because God is with you, and ultimately because God is for you. So the second word today, so we're celebrating Christmas. That's word number one. The second word is Christmas is also a time for salvation for salvation. And I want, I want to talk about salvation today. And we find this second word, three words, Christmas in three words. We find the second word in the 11th verse of Luke chapter two. Here's what the scripture says. So today in the town of David, this, this is Bethlehem, a savior, there, there's the salvation part, has been born to you. 
And watch this. This one verse makes the gospel incredibly personal. That the Messiah, the Lord, was born. He's the Savior, and he was born just for you. And I, I want to make a point at the beginning of this message, because I think this is really important for you to understand. God never does something just to do something. Give me a better amen. Like God, God's just not up in heaven saying, let me do something today. As a matter of fact, every single thing that God has ever done, every single thing that God will ever do is because there is always a purpose and a plan attached to what he did. Are you with me? So everything that God does, everything that God does has a purpose and a plan attached to it. So let me say it this way. If we did not need salvation, if we did not have a need for a savior, then God never would have sent his son Jesus to this earth. God gave us his son Jesus because we could not save ourselves. As a matter of fact, write this thought down. I like, I like this idea. God, God will never waste time or energy on things that you and I do not need. He doesn't waste his time. He doesn't waste his energy. He doesn't waste his breath on stuff that we don't need. So the fact that he sent a savior to this earth means that we needed one. And here's the reality. Whether you realize this statement to be true and you accept this statement as absolute or whether you choose not to believe this statement, the fact of the matter is what it is. We needed a savior. And God made a way. God made provision for us so that we could find salvation. So, so why do we need a Savior? As a matter of fact, let, let's uh, peel that layer back one step further. What does it even mean to be saved? Because we've heard that before, right? Somebody said, you know, I've gotten saved. Or maybe you've heard someone say, you know, he got saved or she got saved. And in churches all around the world, we give opportunities for people to get saved. What does that even mean? Uh, I'll keep it really elementary here for a moment, not to question your intellect because of all of our, of all of our gatherings, you all are the smartest. Come on now. So, but let me just kind of help you. Saved literally means this. Saved means to be rescued. Saved means to be delivered. And I love this one. To be saved means to be set free. So whenever we talk about the idea of salvation, we are talking about God rescuing us. Whenever we talk about being saved, I got saved. What, we're, what, what the declaration there is, is I've, I've been delivered. I've, I've, been, I've been set free. And watch this. This salvation, the idea of salvation, the promise of salvation, the gift of salvation is the only way that we get to inherit heaven. Let me tell you this funny story I read earlier in the week. So there's a, a Sunday school teacher and she's teaching Sunday school at her church and she's been assigned to teach the five-year-old class. So she stands up in front of the five-year-old class and she says to them, talking about the idea of salvation in heaven, she says, if I, if I sold my house and if I sold my car and if I had a yard sale and sold all of my possessions, and I took that money and I gave all of that money to the poor, would I make it into heaven? Would I get into heaven? Well, all of the five-year-olds, they responded with a unanimous no. So the teacher took it a step further. She said, if I, if I cleaned the church every day, 
And I vacuumed the carpet. I took out the trash. I swept the floors. I mowed the yard. I took care of the building. And I never charged them $1 to maintain the church. Would those works get me into heaven? And the five-year-old class responded unanimously, no. So then she said, well, what does it take to get to heaven? And one little five-year-old boy in the back of the class with all the confidence of the world in his heart, he stood up and he said, you want to go to heaven? You got to be dead. <laughs> Come on now, that's funny. You got to be dead to go to heaven. Now that, that, that's a cute little story. And there might be some truth to it. But if you want to go to heaven, you have to be saved. That, that's the only way to get to heaven. Breathing your last breath here on this earth does not guarantee us eternal everlasting life. The only way that we get to stand before the Father and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful, is for those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Are y'all going to help me preach today? The only way that we get to heaven is to say, I can't rescue myself. I can't deliver myself. I'm living a life in bondage. So Jesus, I need you to come in. I need you to come into my life. And what so many people don't realize is that salvation is actually three-dimensional. There are three parts of salvation. And I want to walk through these three parts with you this morning. Salvation is this. You are saved from something. You are saved for something, and then you are saved by something. You were saved from something, for something, and by something. I want you to take a lot of notes today because I'm going to give you quite a bit of content. Let's start with the first dimension of salvation, and that's the fact that we are saved from something. See, whenever, whenever we say yes to Jesus, whenever we commit our life to a relationship with Christ Jesus, then we are saved from something. This is just a part of my own testimony, but the day that I met Jesus in 1999, I was saved from a lifestyle of addiction. God, God did that. God delivered me and he set me free from a lifestyle of, of addiction the day that I met Jesus. See, whenever you meet Jesus, he saves you from addiction. He can save you from the weight of guilt. He can save you from a life of worry or anxiety or bitterness or even that hatred that sometimes grows in our heart. And listen, at the end of the day, I could give you a, an entire list of things that you can be saved from because of Jesus Christ. But ultimately, you are saved from sin. So, so when we talk about salvation, what we are ultimately saved from is from sin. I've told you this before. It's not my responsibility to talk about other churches and what they do and what they don't do, what they do well and what they don't do well. We got enough stuff to figure out here and God's given us a great opportunity and the honor of leading Go Church. So it's my responsibility to focus on this house and what we preach. But let me just make a, a general statement. I think that churches, especially in America, don't preach enough on sin. So to the three of you that agreed, thank you. And here, here's why. Because when we start talking about sin, we start stepping on toes. But when God called me to be a pastor, he called me to be a toe-stepping pastor. Come on, somebody. Because, because sin will always separate you from God. So, so the message of sin is not very seeker friendly, is it? But it is what 
the enemy uses, sin, to keep us from getting to God. Let me, let me show you this. Jesus came so that he could save us from our sin, and his name proves that very point. Matthew 1, verse 21 says it like this. Joseph has a dream. An angel visits Joseph in the dream. And in the dream, the angel says to Joseph, you are to give him the name. On the count of three, both camps says, let's just shout the name Jesus. One, two, three. Jesus. You're to give him the name Jesus. And here's why. Because he will save his people from their sins. He'll save his people from their sins. So let me ask you this. And again, not questioning your intelligence because you all are the smartest. Anybody that attends this church, but what is sin? Now, here's what we do. Uh, let me talk about me. Here's what I do. Whenever I consider sin, I make a list. The list looks like this. There's a don't column and a do column. And in my mind, I think as long as I can live my life on the do side and stay out of the don't side, then I'm going to be all right. And that's what we do, right? We say, well, I, I'm allowed to do this and I'm not allowed to do that. I, I can do this and I should never do that. But what if I challenged some of your thinking here and told you that sin is not a list of do's and don'ts. Sin is an attitude. Sin is the condition of your heart. Again, watch this. What, what's the middle letter in the word sin? Yeah, it's I because sin is an I problem. Here, here's the attitude of sin, the condition of your heart when it comes to sin is this. Watch, just lean in for a second. I don't need God. I, I'm going to do, do my own thing. I, I'm going I'm to figure all of this out. I'm going to be the boss. I'm going to be in charge. Most of you know this. We have two kids, my nine-year-old son, Lakeland, my four-year-old daughter, London, uh, both of them are just, they're really good kids, but kids will be kids. Come on now. You should say, man, I know about some of your kids. Just by the way, I'm letting you know right now. We all, we all got kids that they just need some extra love every now and again. So my four-year-old little girl, uh, you know, I mean, she is a daddy's girl, but she's four going on 14. Come on now. And the other day, Kimberly was telling me the story because London was pitching a fit I mean, she was just hysterical on the floor, sobbing, crying out, not because she had gotten in trouble, which she did, but because Kimberly, her mom told her, you aren't the boss. <laughs> well, everything was fine until London had this revelation that I'm not in charge. Come on, parents. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Just wave at me, <laughs> nod at me. And so Kimberly kept saying, London, you need to understand that you are not the boss. You are not in charge. And London repeatedly would scream out, but I want to be in charge. I want to be in charge. I want to be the boss. I want to be the boss. And I know you're laughing at my kids, but your kids have done the same thing. <laughs> and the story is funny, but it's a sad reality of most people. Whenever, whenever we're trying to figure out this spiritual journey, if we're not careful, when we start to have a conversation with God and we recognize real quick that we are not the boss, we are not, help me preach for a second, that we are not in charge, then we throw this spiritual temper tantrum and ultimately the attitude that we have is, God, I know what will make me happy more than you know what will make me happy. And that type of attitude is sinful. 
And I know what you want to do. You want to nudge your neighbor and say, he's really preaching to you today. I'm so glad. As a matter of fact, just do it, Sam. I'm so glad you came today because you needed this message far more than I needed this message. Here's the problem with that, though. We have all sinned. We've all done it. We, we've, we've, all, we've all messed up. We, we've all had moments of foolish decisions, bad choices. Whew. We've all had moments that we've tried to take control and manipulate the situation. And church, I'm telling you, the idea of sin is much more than just a list of do's and don'ts. It's the condition of your heart. It's the attitude. And I want you to know this. I really believe in my heart that every problem that you'll ever have, that every pain that you will ever feel, every challenge that you'll ever face, the challenges that you'll face in the remainder of this year, the challenges that we'll face in 2020, I really believe that the brokenness in your heart, that emptiness in your heart, I really believe the evil in this world, this world is so evil. Listen, I don't, even, I don't even watch the news anymore. What's the point? I mean, every day, what do we hear? More shootings? Do you hear, for those of you at the South Metro Atlantic Camp, did you hear about the shooting at Cumberland Mall yesterday? In the food court? Come on, ain't nobody that hungry. Come on now. We still, it's 2020, we still deal with racism? Come on, you, you, you listen. I, I read an article on Thursday about human sex trafficking. I just, I just all, all of that, the adulterous affairs. I don't, Kimberly and I, we wanted a date not long ago, and I don't know why my brain went here, but I said, I wonder how many people are on a date with somebody that's not their spouse. <laughs> I started looking around. That guy, he looks shady. <laughs> Have you ever, you ever done that? Please say yes. I do not want to be the only one. So I, I just walked up to him because I wanted to say, hey, your wife's on the phone. <laughs> oh, this is your wife. Sorry, wrong guy. My bad. Kimberly's discernment was off, I'm telling you. <laughs> all of that, the adulterous affairs, the evil, the murder, the hatred, the emptiness, the brokenness, all of it is caused by sin. The root of all of it is sin because here's what sin does. When sin creeps in, it causes rebellion. When sin creeps in, it causes hurt and confusion and anxiety and shame and guilt and bitterness and hatred and resentment. And hey, watch this. Sin is the reason that some of you won't go to your families for Christmas. Don't make me go there. I'm going to go there. I done went there just now. Sin is the reason that some of you haven't picked up a phone and talked to your brother or sister in what, 10, 12, 15 years? Hey, the Bible says in Ephesians, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. It's a sin problem. Are you listening to me? And ultimately, here's what happens. Sin separates us from God. So here's what I believe. Every problem that I have, and I've got a lot of problems. Every problem that I have is caused by sin. And sin will always separate me from God. But I've got, I've got some good news. 
And this good news will cause great joy, and it's for all people. God says, Merry Christmas. I love you so much that I'm sending you Jesus. I need like 200 people that'll help me right now. I'm sending you Jesus. And Jesus wants to set you free. Jesus wants to rescue you. Jesus wants to deliver you. Jesus wants to save you. And Jesus says this. Jesus says, I'll save you from the burden of guilt. I'll save you from the pain of bitterness. I'll save you from depression and discouragement and emptiness. I'll rescue you, Jesus says, from every weight of worry and anxiety and stress. And I love this when Jesus says, I'll even reach down deep into the pit of hell and I'll pull you out of that old life come on that's what I'm talking about Jesus hey woo! this is this is why this is why we celebrate that's why we celebrate because Christmas is about salvation and Jesus says I'm going to give you the greatest gift you could ever be given on Christmas and it's the gift of salvation and some of you need to know this. Let me preach for just a moment. Only Jesus can save you. On, only Jesus can save you. No self-help book can save you. No latest trend or fad can save you. No new boyfriend or new girlfriend can save you. Come on now. No diet can save you. No elaborate vacation can save you. I hear people say, oh, if I could just escape from my reality. If I could go to like Hawaii and just get away from it all, that's a good idea. The problem with you escaping and going to Hawaii is you're taking you with you. Come on now. Only Jesus can save us. As a matter of fact, the, the Holy Spirit reminded me of this verse this morning in Acts chapter 4, verse number 10. Peter is having a sermon. He's preaching an impromptu sermon to the Sanhedrin, which was the Jewish council, because they had a big problem with the, the lame beggar that was healed at the gate called Beautiful. And so Peter stands up and he has this conversation. In verse number 10, he tells them this. He says, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. And then, I don't know, Lord, forgive me if I'm taking this out of context, but I think he, he gets a little like, eh. You know, have you ever been that way? Like, don't make me snap my fingers in a Z formation. You know what I'm talking about? And he's like, yeah, Jesus, the one, the one you crucified, Jesus, the one whom God raised from the dead by this name, this man stands right here before you and is in good health. Jesus is the stone and which was rejected by you, the builders. But now he has become the chief cornerstone. And I love verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else. Come on, church. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Watch. Every problem I've got is caused by sin and God knew it. So God made a way. And the way is through Jesus Christ. Take 20 seconds right here and give Jesus some praise. Woo! My God. Oh, Jesus, here's the truth. Your salvation, your salvation is not going to be found in, in some place. Your salvation will not be found in some program. Your salvation will not be found in some great sermons. Because I have preached some great sermons. 
Your salvation will not be found at the bottle of an empty, or the, the, the emptiness of a bottle or the, the pill that you've been trying to take to escape from it all. No, 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 no. Salvation can only be found in the person of Jesus. Jesus. Right now, I take 10 seconds. Jesus, we honor you. We thank you. We worship you. Thank you for loving me in spite of me. Thank you for coming to save me from my sin. One more time and give Jesus some praise. Come on. Come on, both campuses. Somebody bless his name. Come on. Hallelujah. I got to move. I got to move. So not only does Jesus save us from something, and ultimately it's sin that he saves us from, but he also saves us for something. I'm sure if you gave me time, I could come up with more reasons as to what you're saved for, but let me give you two primary reasons that God saves you. He saves you from something, the, the penalty of sin, but he saves you for purpose. Listen to me, it's, it's, why, it's why you're alive. Jesus saved, saves you on purpose and for purpose. Remember, he doesn't do anything just to do it. Everything he does has a promise attached. And the reason that he sent his son Jesus to save you from sin is because he has a purpose for your life. And I think along the way, many of us, we've forgotten that there is a calling on our life. And this calling that you carry is as unique as your fingerprint. How do I say it? You've heard me, you've heard me say this quite a bit. Or write this thought down because I really believe it. God didn't create you and then give you a purpose. It doesn't work that way. God, God had a purpose... And so he created you. So he didn't create you in his image. And then there you were in front of him. And he said, now what can I do with this individual? No, he had a purpose. And so he thought, now how can I make someone to accomplish this destiny? So, so you're, not, you're not created and then given a purpose. No, there was a purpose. So God created you. You are alive for a reason. And watch this. Whenever, whenever we lose the hope of the reason, we lose the hope for living. God doesn't make mistakes. Now, like me, we've kind of played God. We've gone our own way. We've gotten out of a line at times. Come on, nod at me if you're with me. But God says, I'm, go I'm going to save you from that so that you can come back into alignment and accomplish the very reason th that I designed you. And I love this. It's 2 Timothy 1.9. Let me get back on track here. The verse says it like this. He saved us. Thank you, Jesus. And then he called us. Thank you, Lord. To be his own people, not because of anything that we have done, but because of his own what? And what? Yeah. So you were saved on purpose for a purpose. And I think... Without, without sounding like this is an arrogant statement, because it's not, I think one thing that really sets Go Church apart uh, is our desire to help you discover your purpose. Uh, we, we've made a decision years ago that we were going to help as many people get saved and discover their purpose as we could. So we created what we call Move Track. Move Track is, it's, it happens the last Sunday of every month. It's a, we, we offer free food and child care to make it easy for you and convenient. It's the last Sunday of every month. Even this month, the month of December, because I don't think there's a better gift for you to get this year than to say yes to Jesus and then figure out why you're alive. So you end one year and begin a new year knowing your identity and your calling and the reason that you're alive today. 
So I'm, I'm just encouraging you. Many of you have gone through MoveTrack. Some of you have yet to go through MoveTrack. Stop by Next Steps today. Ask for more information. Go to the website. But MoveTrack will help you discover that purpose and that calling that God has for you because he saved you on purpose and for a purpose. But there's another reason that he saved you. It's not, it's not just for purpose. Watch. He saved you for heaven. A, a place where there is no sickness. A, a place where there's no pain. A, a place where there's no problems. A place where there's no politics. A, a place where there is no racism. A place where there is no financial burden and debt. A place where there is no sickness. It's heaven. You know, uh, none of us know when we're going to breathe our last breath on this earth. Unless you play God. And then you will decide when your time is up. But beyond that, whenever, you know, we just live our life, I mean, we, we don't know. Um, I think the older I get the more I really consider the beauty of heaven. Because, the, well, the older I get, the closer I get, but also the older I get, the more people have gone on before me. You know, I don't ever want to live my life and at the end of it have regret. So I try, I try. I don't, I'm not batting a thousand, that's for sure, and I'm not standing up here pretending like I am, but I try to embrace each day as it is because it could be my last. And then I, I, I've watched my mom. My mom has struggled physically for a long time. This past week, she had her 28th major surgery. 28. That doesn't include having four kids. Come on now. If there's a part of my mom's body that hasn't been operated on, I don't know about it. I mean, from knee replacements to shoulders to back, she has degenerative disc disease. And as long as, long as my, my mind can go backward, I've always heard my mom stand in faith to believe she was going to receive her healing. Last night about 9 o'clock, they called. My mom was having complications from the surgery, so they rushed her to the emergency room. Now, I don't think it's my mom's time to go, and I'm not planning on it being her time to go. We just bought them a ring doorbell for Christmas. Come on, they got to get that thing installed. Come on now. <laughs> But when I talked to her last night, the tone was different. It was a longing for fullness of health, like an exhaustion of, and the reality of this world isn't where I'm going to be forever. Now, that's not a sad story. It's actually very beautiful. My mom's going to recover. You, you can't keep a good woman down. Come on. But listen to me, the beauty of all of this is her hope is not in the address in where she lives. Her hope is in the address of where she's going. Come on. And I, I'm not at the end of the message yet. But do you know where you will spend eternity? Do you know? Because God sent his son Jesus to save you for the purpose of while you're alive to accomplish his will, but we will all breathe our last breath. 
You, you, can, you, can, you can find the fountain of youth and drink gallons of it. You, you can go to Arizona and have your head froze. You know they're doing that now. It's, I don't know the point of that. I don't want this thing frozen. Come on now. But at the end of the day, we'll all stand before God. And will you have lived your life on this earth for a well done? Well done. Because that's what he saved you for. Have you ever, I got to move on, but let me say one more thought. Have you ever considered eternity? Have you ever thought about that? Eternity? It's, it's tough for our, you know, finite minds to comprehend infinity. Because everything we do here on earth has a schedule attached. School starts at this time. We get off of work at this time. We'll go on vacation on this date. Everything's got numbers and dates and all. Eternity is forever. 10,000 years, 100,000 years. What? A million years? Now, I'm, not trying, I'm not trying to scare you into saying, oh, goodness gracious. I'm just trying to make sure you understand that if he died for heaven, heaven can be yours. John 1.12 says it like this, and there's other verses. But to all who believed... Do you understand that's all it takes is faith? The kind of God you serve doesn't require you to fly yourself into some building or strap a bomb around you. No, the God, the God that you serve simply says to all who believed and you've accepted him, then you are given the right to become children of God. I'm almost done. Hang in there for a few more minutes. Do you know what children receive? They receive an inheritance. And your inheritance as a son or daughter of God is the promise of heaven. It's the promise of heaven. You know, there's a little bit of old school in me. There is. You think you know me, but you don't really know me. Kimberly will come out sometimes in the living room and I've got some Christian music playing, but it's like the Gaither vocal band. <laughs> to the eight of you that know what I'm talking about, hello. Some good old southern gospel music. And Kimberly will say, who are you? And I'll say, you don't know who I am. There's that little bit of old school in me, you know. And this morning I just woke up and I started thinking about the old song, When We All Get to Heaven. What a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus. Come on now. We will sing and shout the victory. Won't that preach today? Come on, just thank him for the promise of heaven. Come on. I got to move. You're saved from something. You're saved for something. And then you're saved by something. And if you want to know what you're saved by, then that something is grace. Amazing grace. This isn't on the TV, but I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. What is grace? Grace is this. Grace is when God gives you what you need and not what you deserve. Let me say that again because that's good. Grace is when God gives you what you need and not what you deserve. Grace is this. Grace is God saying, I'm, I'm going to take all of your problems and I'll make them my problems. You just, you just have to give them to me. I wish I know who came up with this acronym because I would give them credit where credit is due. But I like this one. Grace is this. God's riches given to you at Christ's expense. 
I, I got to say this fast. In this book, from Genesis to Revelation, are over 3,000 promises. And because of what Jesus did at the cross at Calvary, if you believe in him and you accept him as Lord and Savior, then all 3,000 promises become yours. So grace is God's riches, his promises given to you, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And this type of grace, you can't buy it. You know, we're really good at buying stuff nowadays, aren't we? I told you last week, Cornelius is still dropping off packages from Amazon. Saw him three more times this week. But I can't get grace from Amazon. But I can get grace faster than Prime. Come on, somebody. You can't be good enough. Can't work hard enough for it. The only way we get to heaven is through grace. Ephesians 2.8, rather, Paul says this. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is a what? Come on, everybody say gift. So here's the closing. Whenever, Whenever you are exchanging gifts this Christmas, do that. You should. And buy, buy that person you love a gift. That's important. But here's the challenge. With every gift that you get and every gift that you give, what if you just pause to say, the greatest gift that's ever been offered to me is the gift of amazing grace. It's grace. Amazing grace. I'll tell you one quick story. We'll be done. When I was in college, I was always trying to figure out a way to you know, make some money, pay for books and tuition and all of that. So I, I took a few random jobs here and there. Uh, I worked at Papa John's for a while delivering pizza, so much so that my car, it smelled like pizza forever. You know, so I delivered pizzas for a while. Um, for a couple of semesters, I, I worked at Kmart as a security guard. That's right, because they looked at me and they're like, man, this guy's swole, he's huge. Uh, man, I was the best Barney Five Kmart security guy you've ever seen. But one job I did consecutively in the summers was I was a lifeguard. I had a little David Hasselhoff in me. And uh, our, our uh, school had set up this program with certain youth camps that if you worked the summer, then you would get a scholarship that would be applied towards your tuition or books or whatever. So it was a great deal. Got to spend in uh, the summer in a few states and lifeguard and, and whatnot. So I did that for three or four summers consecutively. And I, I only saved one kid, one kid in all of the years of lifeguarding. We always gave a swim test before camp began because every kid's going to tell you they can swim. So we would say, well, let's see if you can really swim. And if you can swim, then you got a wristband that says, you know, you passed your swim test. And if you didn't, then you'd have to stay with a chaperone in the shallow end or throughout the week you could, we would teach kids how to swim so that they could, you know, eventually get the wristband and swim on their own. Well, during the swim te- uh, test, it was, it was uh, in Tennessee youth camp. This boy jumped in and he just went straight to the bottom. I mean, boom, straight to the bottom. So I waited like three minutes four minutes. I'm thinking, man, this kid can hold his breath. Well, you know, I mean, I knew right away this kid's in trouble. Now, I want you to hear this because I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a spiritual connection. One of the, one of the most understood rules in lifeguarding is safety first. Because 
whenever there is someone in danger and they're in the water and they're panicking and they're flailing and screaming and, you know, treading water, they're trying to just get their, their head above water to, to catch a breath, you know, uh, that's very dangerous if the lifeguard jumps in to save them, listen, while they're trying to save themselves. Because anytime you try to save somebody that's trying to save themselves, you both will end up drowning. Are you hearing what I'm trying to say? So what any good lifeguard knows is, is that, yeah, every second matters. But you almost have to wait until they give up trying to save themselves so that you can swoop in, grab them, and like I do, pull them by the hair out of the water. And if you don't hear anything else in this message, I want you to hear this. Jesus wants to save you because you cannot save yourself. And too many of us, we're kicking and we're screaming and we're fighting, trying to catch a breath, catch a breath, catch a breath, trying to figure it all out. Hey, listen to me. You'll never understand fully this faith thing. Stop trying to put all the missing pieces of the puzzle together. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says it like this, for the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to you and your children forever. You've got to stop trying to save yourself. You've got to stop trying to figure it all out. And listen to me, you've got to stop leaning on your own understanding or lack thereof and start leaning on Jesus. Because the moment, listen to me, he's, the Bible says that he's sitting at the right hand of the Father using the earth as his footstool. He's the great lifeguard looking upon the elliptic of the earth at his sons and his daughters struggling for survival. And the whole time he says, wait a minute, I've provided salvation from something, for something, and by something. Just give up. The old school church would say like this, let God be God. Question that I'm closing with, have you accepted this gift of salvation? If not, don't leave either one of our campuses without accepting this gift because he wants to save you from something, for something, and by something. Every head bowed. Come on, just for a moment. If you're ready to make this decision, nobody's looking but me and the Lord. If you're ready to make this decision and say yes to Jesus, I'm counting to three, both campuses, and I want you to put your hand up and put it right back down. I'm tired of being my own boss. I'm tired of being in charge. I'm tired of trying to save myself. I'm just ready to try God. I just want to try God. You'll never be disappointed in that decision, I can promise you. If you're ready, let me know. One, two, three. Hands up. Hands up. Both campuses. Lots of hands today. Many hands. Come on. Anybody else? Lots of hands. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. I've asked the, both of our uh, worship teams to sing this chorus, and then your campus pastor will close with a closing prayer of salvation. So at both campuses, can you just, you can remain seated, but can you lift your hands? And let's worship Jesus for just a moment.